Every day I spend my time Drinking wine, feeling fine Waiting here to find the sign That I can understand Yes, I am So every day I spend my time Drinking wine, feeling fine Waiting here to find the sign That I should take it slow Dimension, my mind, body, soul, and prison. My eye, probably going ballistic, but listen, I'm missing a couple of screws. They ain't never do drilling, Drew. You've been sipping away at the truth. Double side of wisdom, a do, 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 rolling, do, hitting, switch, rolling, dishes, blowing kisses to the bitches, holding biscuits. What's the business? Beat the system, go to business, blow the systems, go to prison, go to church, and pray the Father, Lord, forgive us. And only God. There are only 140 uh, master sommeliers in the entire United States. Only two of them are African American. Only one of them is here with me, Carlton. Hello. This is Carlton McCoy. Uh, Carlton is now the president and CEO at Height Cellar, an incredibly popular, um, a lot of lore um, producer up in Napa Valley. Um, Carlton is also the former wine director at Little Nell in Aspen. And Carlton is, well, as of like, what, 2013, yeah. one of the youngest master sommeliers to ever pass the exam. Um, for, for people who may not know what it entails to pass a master's uh, exam, for me, it's like, you know, getting your doctorate. Um, can you tell me, like, how many hours, like, what, what, what was your life like as you were passing the master? What does it entail? Um, so I, would, I wouldn't call it much of a life, but um, <laughs> we, um, you know, when we look at um, um, what the master learning exam really entails, mm -hmm. um, it was really more about how many literally like work hours and study hours you're willing to commit to it. Um, I mean, I was roughly studying about 40 hours a week. I was putting a full-time job into it while still working full-time, more than full-time at another job. So um, to pass the master exam, there's actually four exams leading up, uh, leading up to that, to that accreditation. The last exam, um, there is a service, a tasting, and a theory portion of the exam. The, uh, the theory portion is all verbal. So to sit across the table from other master's and answer about 150 questions roughly um, verbally, and then that's that part in the service, sort of a mock service, you know. Wait, did you say 150 verbal questions? Yeah. Um, and it's for anything alcohol-related in the world, anything to sake, to cocktails, and production, and viticulture, and vinification, and different cuvées, and history of wineries, geography, geology, weather patterns, everything. Um, and um, the service portion is essentially just that's a mock service. So usually three to four tables, multiple masses, just sort of grilling your own questions to see if you can keep your composure and offer, you know, proper classic, you know, elegant wine service in, 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 in the middle of that. Um, and then lastly is the, um, the blind tasting. You blind taste three white wines and three red wines. We have to essentially land on the vintage, uh, the region and the varietal uh, and quality level and subregion of each wine. So. Blind tasting for me is probably one of the most humbling things that I have ever done because literally, if you if you go and uh, try to identify a wine and you have no clue what it is, like I, I've, it's either I'm either like 
overjoyed yeah. that I got it right, or I'm either like completely embarrassed and pissed off that I have no clue what <laughs> what it is. Sure. I imagine that's got to be like probably one of the most like nerve wracking things about it. There's well, I mean, how, how many different grapes in Italy? There's what. 300 yeah so what they do is the, the, the quartermaster me is pretty much limited to, to classic regions and classic varietals so you know um aglianico is a varietal that grows in campagna i'm not saying this is a testable varietal i'll just give you an example um and if they were to test with that if they wanted to test aglianico they could only test aglianico from campagna because that's the classic region or maybe basilicata but what you could not test on is aglianico from you know, the barossa valley yeah. in australia this is not right, a classic right, right, right. Okay, region they're not, they're not for the bridal they're not trying, they're trying to trick you, you. no oh, okay perfect okay they're not um <laughs> and, and even with that said it's still difficult right so i could actually tell you i can tell you i could go hey these are three wines three red wines and these are i can tell you these are the 20 wines they could be and you probably still got a lot of them wrong it's it's very 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 difficult even knowing what wines they could be that's right? nice um and it, it really goes down to uh it's back to flavor and aroma memory. It's like building this sort of database um, in, your, in your mind of flavors and aromas. And even the sight, the visual, the wine. How do you feel being one of only two African-American master sommeliers in the United States? There's one thing to be a master sommelier in its own right. As 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 a, a African American man, what does it mean for you? Do you feel as if you're a you're setting an example or attempting to set an example for people who want to strive to just do incredibly hard shit and incredibly epic stuff like you've done? Well, I think it's it's more about you know what I what I landed on was wine, but I think the bigger message is um, like setting an example for kids who are raised in neighborhoods where I was raised to say, okay, you, you don't have to, you don't have to do only what you see around you, right? Because if you're, if you're, if you're raised poor, this very, you're, what you actually see around you is very limited. You can, you can go to TV and see, oh, that person does that. You can do it. You actually can do it. Right. I know that sounds, you know, like, oh, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. You can. Um, mostly, not completely. That's not completely true. Like mostly you can do. There's mm -hmm. some things that are limitations, but um, but for the most part, you know, um, you know, coming from Southeast DC with, you know, my sort of heritage background being where I am, I, I would hope does set an example for these kids going, you know, you don't have to wait around for the good government job. You don't have to, you know, try to just, you know, go to, go to a, a major league for sports. You don't have to be an entertainer. Like you could actually, you know, aspire to be part of a profession that's usually actually outside of maybe no one in your in, in your neighbor's ever done before no one in your family's ever done before we go you know what i want to i want to run luxury car dealerships i want to be the biggest seller of Freud's in la yeah like you can do that you can right? or i want to you, know, you just pick it you know i want to be an investment maker you absolutely can do that you for know you, for you did it, it start with belief it has to start with belief uh, for sure I, I i do also believe that you know i i think that um, desperation is an incredible motivator and we talked about it earlier you know the greatest motivation in the world is an empty stomach right. you know when you are when you're raised impoverished and you're raised with all this adversity one you have very little to lose um, and so you can take higher risk the other part is you have no choice but to succeed I mean you you by nature I would think most people would just give it everything they have right in, um, what, in whatever it is that you decide on 
Um, we were talking earlier. Um, I grew up in a really difficult neighborhood. Carlton also grew up in a tough neighborhood. I was telling you earlier about this story. Uh, the first time I went to Washington, D.C., I was probably like 14 years old. And we were staying at some, you know, pretty nice hotel um, down like right in D.C. And whenever I walked to the window in the hotel room, I could see three things. I could see the Pentagon. I could see the Capitol, the, um, the Washington Monument. Yeah. And on the same street that we were standing in the hotel, was like poverty yeah and it always tripped me out it's kind of like one of my longest lasting impressions of washington dc is how how there could be a pentagon and there could be a washington monument and literally an impoverished neighborhood in the same right yeah. growing up in dc i mean i'm sure you had you know your your you know trials and tribulations tell me what it was like growing up in dc because when I look at you, I, I uh, talk, we talked about it earlier, I look up to you a lot for what you achieved, but I'm also just as fascinated, if not more, by where you come from and and um, what you had to endure as a kid. You were you talked earlier about you know, kind of being um, labeled because you went to college. Sure. Look, you know, so D.C. was wild. I mean, when I, when I was raised there, it was part the worst time in DC's history, you know. So Dave Chappelle's from DC, and mm. he always says this skit, and I, I think it really summarizes it, and it proves that he actually is from there, and he understands the time. <laughs> so he grew up. We went to the same high school. He went to a, a performing arts high school, but That's before crazy. then, he went to uh, Eastern Senior High School, which mm -hmm. is the high school I went to for a couple years before I got kicked out. And you got kicked out of high school. Yeah, three of them. Can I ask so, what you did? Um, if you don't mind talking about it, <laughs> okay. I just didn't go. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, so he talks about you know when he was young you, know, you saw these thriving African-American neighborhoods I mean people like they were getting it right they, they were buying their homes they were owning their real estate you know these kids were you know it was that first generation where like there was a possibility these kids would actually go to college right Right. and some of the old people actually did go to college um, but then you know he went he went off to live with his dad I think in Ohio when he came back he talks about he says like the crack bomb went off and Jeez. it was like post-apocalyptic DC, and you know I was born in um, I was born in 1984, and so when I was really sort of coming to age and I was aware of what was going on mm -hmm. was like the worst time, like late 80s, early 90s, and you know the homicide rate was you know per capita was the worst in the world. Um, there was no one in my school whose parents weren't you know junkies or crackheads, like no one. I mean that was just the norm, like. Everyone was raised by their grandparents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Um, and it was just a really dangerous place to be around. I mean, you would, you know, you make the best out of it. And uh, it's incredible what, you know, people in those situations can do to try to try to find some happiness in life. It's, you know, it's food, it's music, it's, it's humor, you know, these sort of things. And, um, but we, we may do what we, we could, but it was, it was a very difficult place. My grandmother who was a Pentecostal preacher we're in this church and she raised my, my sister and I along with her other grandkids. I was raised by grandma um, too. Yeah, I mean, it just becomes, it, yeah. it's a thing. I think there's a lot of pros to actually being raised by your grandmother. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely the path that I'm on now. If you were to sort of, you know, you look at it as like a book um, and if you start the book off, my childhood and how I was raised, you didn't expect the book to turn into what my life turned into, right? If that's a was it, was it a blank Was it a blank page that you had to color? You no, know, you know, so so no, I I didn't I didn't wake up one day in the middle of Anacostia and go, I really want to be a sommelier, right? I didn't know who one was. No one in my family drank wine unless it was like 
MD 2020 or something like that, right? That was like culturally, we don't drink wine. I always right? ask people what MD 2020 is. If they know about it, no one knows what it is. So I, I do know now, but we used to call it Mad Dog. <laughs> It's called Mad yeah, Dog Mad 2020, Dog. but it's Morgan Davis. You yeah. had the Morgan Davis. I never knew that. Morgan Davis is a big, it's a big um, um, spirits company. It's a family. Okay. Because um, I know you had you had the green Mad Dog. You had the, like the red one, the orange one. Yeah, they're all different flavors. It was it's like a $3. wine cooler. It's a wine cooler, but it's stronger in alcohol. Oh my god! Um, Look up Mad Dog 2020. It changed your life. But, Actually, I mean, but there for was the worst. yeah for the worst. But there was multiple brands. Give the Alize came after that. I mean, yeah. uh, Cisco, Hypnotic. They're all the same thing. Yep, no. Um, so anyway, so there was no wine on the table. I, I, I had an opportunity. I dropped out of high school, and I was pretty much just hanging out with my, my sister. Uh, and I, my sister, uh, did, um, she dropped out of high school, and she never went back. Mm. So we were both, you know, just sort of, you know, smoking weed, hustling, yeah. chilling, just not not living our, our the way we should be. Right. And uh, one day my sister just woke me up, and she was like, done with it she's like you need to go to school and i hadn't been in school like six months at this point wow and she's like you need to go to school i'm like what she's like can't stay in this house unless you go to school i don't know i never talked to her. i don't know what clicked but once something just clicked when she was like this is it like you have a bet you have a you're a smart kid you can't do this so so it was your sister that kind of like yeah wow. and she and she's the one who pretty much um forced me to go back to school i started going back to school i started taking it seriously and um i took a culinary arts class um, as a credit because it was very easy I grew up my grandmother we always cooked and I was raised by my grandmother but also she had nine sisters and they all cooked and we they ran this catering company out of the back of the church so I was raised in this kitchen with these incredible black women which is incredible cooks so I knew how to cook very well by the age of but you know I was what 14 15 at that time mm-hmm. so I took this class and then um, I met this um, this guy by the name of uh, Ian he was, he was a pastry chef in town he worked all over in New York Worked at uh, Tavern on the Green. Uh, I mean, he was just a really talented guy. Mm-hmm. And what he did was he was part of this program called the CCAP, the Career Culinary Arts Program. Mm-hmm. And they came and they went to, to inner city schools and tried to find really talented young kids or kids who could be trained to be cooks. And they gave him scholarships to go to culinary school. Right. Um, so he sort of eyed me and started to train me. And I just went along with that. I didn't even know you could make money cooking, really. I didn't know it was a career. Yeah. Um, the only cook I'd actually probably seen is like at the Waffle House or something like that. You know, like an actual <laughs> chef or a cook, right? It's like, like a Waffle House in like every corner in DC, right? Waffle, well, yeah, or or that variation of that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the only idea you see as a cook, and I definitely didn't want to do that. Right. And you know, so I started to learn more about French cuisine. He, he, that's what he was trained in. We we start, you know, we he'd take me home like this is how you make chicken stuff. This is how you make this. This is how you make. This. He would just dimble these things for me, which I thought was very cool, and uh, taught me a few recipes. And I, I, I got entered into this cooking competitions, and I won the, the cooking competitions. I won a full ride to the CIA in Hyde Park. The the yeah. What's this acronym again? I read C-cap. all about it. Oh, sorry, CIA. Oh, the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. Gotcha. Uh, in Hyde Park, New York. Yep. And that's it was the world. It is the world's greatest culinary school, and um, I didn't know culinary school existed, but I now had a scholarship full ride to it and um, you know that was my that, that was my only opportunity to go to school I mean, college wasn't an option and I you know I, I went from dropping out of high school to pretty much like I think at that year I got a 3.8 right in like one year I started to like really focus on what I was doing like apply myself and got into the school because actually just because you get the scholarship doesn't mean you get into the school right so the cash is there I had to make it happen so then I was like, this is actually a reality. So I really started just grinding, getting my grades up and, and got in. Um, and um, 
Yeah, the rest is history. From that story, it sounds pretty clear that you had a couple people that really loved you, which yeah. is which is great, man. Yeah. You, you know, you come up in these these tough places. Uh, again, I grew up in a tough place, uh, raised by my grandmother, and I didn't have a lot of opportunities. Didn't you know? I, you know, when I told my mom that I was going to go to college, she was surprised. Yeah, I got myself into college, um, but I can always say where we lack opportunities and we lack all these things. I had a lot of love. I had a lot oh, of people yeah, that sure, loved sure. me, and all you need is just like a couple. Well, people, people that play, they support you. Yeah, yeah. to just kind of do that. When you're young, it's very difficult because you don't. Um, it's impossible for you to see what's out there. You've, your scope is so small. It's like what the world is, especially mm. when you're raised. What I was raised, like you don't even know what the potential is, and that's one of the problems. I never, I never saw anyone. I didn't see any, any black people that were really successful in their field, unless they were. You know, really entertainers or, or athletes. That was literally the, it's the only Rapper time we had. So to the league. that's it. I mean, the, the, it, it's it's you know, it's like a catchphrase now, but it's reality. Mm-hmm. And it's reality because how could you, at, being a child, even begin to sort of imagine what the picture is yeah. if you never see anyone that looks or sounds like you doing it? Yeah. How could you, right? So you limit yourself and you go, well, you know, hopefully I can, you know, go to go to college and. and you know, work for uh, the State Department or something like that. You know exactly. what I mean? Or, or maybe they didn't go to college. And you go, you know what? Home Depot has a high hourly. I mean, I try to get a job at Home Depot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, well, you know, whatever you did, that's that's the limit of your the, your aspirations. And uh, and it's not necessarily your fault. It's just when you don't even know something is an option. I mean, now we got the internet. You got social media. I mean, the access that people have now to see Incredible. very successful, not just African Americans, but people who come from poverty making it. It's like. It's I mean, so are, important. Yeah, you may not understand the path to get there, but you at least understand it's possible. That's so important because, like, yeah. yeah, 20, 30 years ago, the, the scope was limited. We, we we couldn't see that. Now I can just go online. I can go, oh, go to go to see. go to Instagram and, and follow hashtag Black Excellence, Black Greatness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what are you gonna see? You're gonna see pretty, you know, successful black people in in in, in, in various fields. Mm-hmm. You didn't have that before. Yeah. I mean, as far as someone with money, right? We talk about success. We're talking about we're talking about money, right? People argue, what's your definition of success? Look, if you don't have lights on in your house and you've been eating noodles and noodles for a month, success is money. Chicken flavor is Success is money, right? (laughs) You have money to eat. So when I say success, I do mean money. Have Um, have you eaten the chicken top ramen? No. What? No, no, since then. I grew up on it. That's all I ate. I mean, it was like. And the beef. Chicken and beef was everything. That's all we ate. I mean, we would doctor it up. (laughs) A couple boiled eggs in there. Oh, yeah. Some sausage. Like, something to doctor it up. Oh, Um, yeah. We lived off these things. Yeah. You know, almost exclusively for months at a time. Um, But anyway, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, being able to be an example for people is, is, to me, it's not only about cool, you have the opportunity. I think you have a responsibility to do it. The best part about um, the story and what we talked about earlier is the fact that you now, through wine, provide for your family back to DC. Yeah, and that—that's where it, everything kind of seems like it all came full circle. And you know, you went through—you know—you had a couple of people that just kind of pushed you this way. Your sister said, "Uh-uh, it's time to go." Had the guy to help you cook, and then you kind of just made this whole career path, and now it's come full circle. That's—that's that's to me a success story. That's a feel-good success story. So. Yeah, but I feel, I feel like I'm just starting. You know, um, we are drinking. Um, oh yeah, Heights Grignolino Rosé. So, so okay. I know a lot about wine. I don't know shit about wine compared to this dude. So, so 
if I misspeak, you gotta you sure, gotta, sure, sure. You gotta correct me. Uh, Heist Grignolino Rosé is made from the Grignolino grape from Northeast Italy. That's Piedmont, um, traditional Italian grape that we brought to um, America. Um, this is made from the Sagne method, uh, Sagne Rose yep. uh, Rosé. This dark color is kind of like one of those things that you notice immediately. It's a really popular wine. Um, it's very affordable, um, and this is colors just because you guys did a little bit more skin contact mm -hmm. we were talking earlier about that kind of like delicate yeah you get a provence rosé that's like light paint and then you get like something like this like a grignolino where you just got to bleed just a little bit more and i was asking you earlier was it just is it a matter of hours that kind of gives you this or you know the, the reality is so like um most rosé is meant to be like um something that's like thirst quenching mm -hmm. and you know we make a thousand cases of this for the world so I didn't want to make something that was just something you would just like hammer at a pool. When I mean me, I mean we are my I can team. Have, I, I don't make the wine. Pool. But for, uh, for me, I wanted to make something that was actually something you could pair with 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 food yeah. in a restaurant. Uh, it would stand up to dishes. It wasn't just just sort of fresh, easy drinking. You know, something that looked pink but tastes like a white wine. What is something that had a little bit more texture to it, but also. Grignolino is a is a pretty unique variety in the sense that it uh, you need a little bit of skin contact to get the full you know aromatics and characteristics um, and this style evolves a little bit every year so it'll go a little darker one year a little lighter one year and it depends on the vintage the color um, but this is the style you'll see I made. This is a seventeen. Yeah, this is a seventeen. You'll see the um, um, this style of rosé very common in Italy in general. It's a food culture they eat. They're not just looking for something they can just drink back. They would have a spritz if they wanted something like this, right? Right. Um, but if you're having wine in the glass with food, you want something that that, that stands up to food. Definitely. Um, and I think this does. And the aromatics are incredible in this. Super floral, you know, awesome. tart, ripe red berries. Um, and it's great to have a rosé that's made from a varietal that's not so common. Um, I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the most uh, well-known um, wine that you guys have ever produced is the 1974 Martha's sure. Vineyard. Um, I read that the, the 74, the summer of 74, Joe was actually um, injured. Yeah. And David, the son of the original winemaker, was the one that vinified the 74 mm -hmm. Martha. Yeah. That's fucking incredible. That, yeah, I mean, that you, had, took a, you know. So, so Joe is a pretty legendary guy in the Napa Valley. You know, he was assistant winemaker under Andre Telechev at BV um, during the 50s for the, almost the entire decade. Andre Telechev was like the godfather of modern day Napa Valley. Napa has a history that goes back to the late 1800s as far as a wine growing region. Um, so, even our, our winery at um, at Heights, mm -hmm. there's a plaque on the, the uh, it's engraved in the stone, it says A. Rossi 1989, probably 1898, mm. and that's when that, that winery was established uh, over 100 years ago. So there's a long history there. Modern Napa really, you know, Andre Telechev had a, a big influence on it. Joe worked for him for 10 years, really defined that style and became like like top dog in Napa very quickly once he started uh, Heights Cellar. And a lot of young winemakers, they're older now, but they were young then, trained with, with, with Joe. He really nurtured a lot of young winemakers into understanding how to vinify Cabernet Sauvignon in the Napa Valley and how that had to be different than Napa, I mean, than, than Bordeaux. The climate is different, the soil is different, the aspect is different, the actual plant material is different. So why would you vinify wines the same way? It doesn't make any sense. And David Heights was raised in the winery. I mean, that's that's pretty much the only job yeah, like, he ever did. Honestly, so, man, I would, um, and they worked. As, I mean, even though you know David did vinify the '74, they worked side by side pretty much until until. 1998 roughly when you know joe had a stroke and he was doing really bad so david took on 100 percent then 
but they worked side by side for for decades. This is why I'm not a winemaker. I would never think to, you know, I, w- I would think Devin would be like, oh, let's bring a cab over. Let's vinify it the exact same way. Cause well, most people think that way, you know actually. What I mean? and yeah, that's, I know, you know, so when we talk about Napa Valley Cabernet in, in the style that you either love it or you don't, yeah. but there's a style perception there. Heights is very different from that style because we make wine very differently. Those people who make that style, it's not their fault. They really just, it's a normal thought process. Take the varietal and model after people the way they do it, and that's already expensive, that's already great. Well, you know, they forget that grapes are an agricultural product. They don't respond yep. the same in every place. So if I grow, if I grow um, a carrot in, in, in the middle of Napa Valley and I grow it in the middle of Burgundy, whatever, Bordeaux, it's not going to grow the same way, right? The conditions may need to be great for it. So you have to adjust your farming. You have to adjust the way you make wine to, to, to come with a product that is true to its place. From a consumer's standpoint, yeah. um, I will say that uh, we're happy to have you at the uh, Head of Heights and looking forward to a lot of like amazing things. We are too having that, man. Like, this we're is, having this fun, is, man. This is extremely exciting. No, you know, Heights, Heights is such a, a legendary a state in, for, 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 for the world um, and you know we couldn't we, we needed to make sure that there, there wasn't someone else who came in and bought it and bastardized it we wanted to do was we're really in the business of historic preservation and that's what we wanted to do was to really make sure we can return heights to the, the very best era um, and, and preserve that because I think it's, it's doing an injustice to the American wine industry right. to not preserve these great old estates alright man so hip-hop what's the last song if i were to grab your phone look in your itunes because you have an apple right yeah we talked yeah. about that earlier i'm andrew if you have uh one song first tell me the last song that you hip-hop song that you played in your itunes you know i was listening to yesterday i was i had dinner at spago last night mm-hmm. and I, I was pulling up i was riding with uh, we were working the market here selling heights and our our regional uh, sales reps here, she's she's great. She just came from France. She's an incredible sommelier. We hired her now as a regional salesperson. She's very smart. Is she'd never heard of um, Tyler the Creator? Mm-hmm. She had no clue who Tyler was. And I played potato salad for her. How did she react? She was like blown away. She was like, <laughs> I mean, the beat is like, yeah. It, it actually, even though Tyler the Creator is, it's on his album, it's his song. ASAP is the one who, who yeah. I think fl- killed it on that song. I love ASAP. For sure. Well, he's, I think his style is... I don't think ASAP has a style. I mean, if you look at his different albums, the, the style is dramatically different album to album. But on that song, uh, I think he just killed it. It's um, such a great song. My favorite uh, ASAP Rocky song is the one he has with um, uh, Every Day with uh, Miguel. And damn it, I can't remember the guy's name. And the course is Every Day I Spend My Time Drinking Wine, Feeling Fine, yeah. Waiting Here to Find Us. I love that song. I can't think of the... the there's uh, It's David... No, but it's, it's uh, I, I think it. it's called Wine. It's um, it's, it's called Every Day, but that's on his second album. It's I think it's the same. Long live ASAP. That's is that the same? Album. Is that the same? Oh, is that the first? I thought it was in the album with um, with LSD. Uh uh-uh. uh, I'm pull it up right now. Yeah, I forget. It's but it's, it's was that his first album? Uh, that I believe was either his first or second album, but yeah. it was literally like one of those ones. I like ASAP. Like, anytime that you and it's not gonna pull up right now, but anytime that you. Uh, I mean, get a rapper and it's rapping about wine. I'm getting so excited about that when Jay-Z is naked. He always asks about it, yeah. Like, oh my God, it's the best ever. Okay, so if that was your last song, what is maybe your favorite 
recent album or maybe who is your favorite recent artist that's just like dropping some stuff that either motivates you or just like puts you in a good space? Yeah, well, I, I think like, you know, when you look at rap and hip hop, I mean, there's very, they, they um, different styles scratch a different itch, right? Um, you know, there's, there's content rappers, right? Like I mm-hmm. love listening to most Def and Talib Kweli. Of course. Legends, because of the lyrics and what and what and what they're saying and the message that they bring, right? Listen to Common, right? I love listening oh, yeah. to Common. Shytown. But you know, rea- re- you know, realistically, that's always that's not always what you want to put in. Like, turn the volume up, turn the bass up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one wants to hear it, but I think Drake is incredible. Yes, he is. I think he gets a really bad rap because he didn't come from the streets. I don't think that it should be a prerequisite to some being a rapper, in my opinion. Of course, the there's guy, a lot the guy, of... He's really, he's just good. Drake is selling out shows. I've been telling some of my people, Drake is selling out shows like Michael Jackson overseas. Big time. That dude is like going on tour and like show after show after show. Like, I mean, he's in fucking Budapest and he's fucking Italy just three to even in LA. I don't know yeah. if you know, in LA, he had like two weeks where he was doing like four shows uh, a week. Good for him. Sell out over and over, over. So you look at it, it's like, you know, his, his, his lyrics are insane. His delivery is insane. I mean, the guy can rap, he can sing. He, I mean, I mean, he's like the full package. And I think a lot of you yep. know street rappers hate on the guy so much. I think it's, it's like, how are you gonna hate on the guy? They just want. They, it's like they hate him because they want to be him. Yeah, it's right. That's the reality. Listen, he's killing it. He's killing he's it. Killing him. He's he's and he's. I love this too. I never, I never get tired of listening. Tired of Drake, to him. Yeah, right? he's well rounded. He can do everything. And Two Chain, Two Chain's his flow is oh, great. Oh man, it's a very unique flow. So we even talk about content. We talk about flow. I mean, you look at like Biggie, like. Biggie was never going to change anything in the black community with his lyrics, right? right? That wasn't his thing. But his delivery was unparalleled. The way mm-hmm. the guy could tell a story was, was insane. Mm-hmm. Now, in my opinion, I think Tupac is the other end of the spectrum. His lyrics, especially before he hit with Death Row Records, you know, he had Brenda had a baby, right? It's like, oh, yeah. like you, you listen to that song and it's like... It's he's, incredible. He's story... I mean, he's telling a very certain... But I don't think his delivery was even nearly as good as Biggie's, right? He didn't make you just like... You know, want to just, yo, turn that back, turn that back. Like, I, I didn't do that with Tupac, but what I did was I listened to his lyrics. Mm-hmm. So they're just completely different approaches. It really is very mood driven. I think a lot of times people are very lazy minded and they, they try to um, put, you know, rap and hip hop in like this one box as if it's one genre, but they are very different genres um, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think people have been able to really define what the differences are between rap and hip hop. But even within them, I always look at them as, as sort of, you know, there's delivery rappers and there's content rappers and then the greatest one do the both. Jay-Z is a content oh, and, a, and delivery rapper, right? That, that's what makes him great. Drake is, is a content and a delivery rapper. Right? There's very few people who can do both. And he, do, he does both incredibly well. I just did a documentary on Jay-Z. Jay-Z is, to me, the, I mean, over the, the course of hip hop, I mean, you look at hip hop and let's say it started, let's, let's say mid eighties, no one's done it as long as Jay-Z. Right? It's like, okay, this is why I became, I need to kill this person, I need to become this person. And we do that, you have to do that more often than we, we, we want to, right? And it's what your life requires, especially in his situation where he's like, you know, it's like, I become this persona, I'm a rapper, you know, I'm now, you know, now he's like cheating on the wife. And it's like, I don't know, yeah. I have a wife and, and kids I need to, to be that person for. Yeah. So it's time to kill Jay-Z and become that person. Yeah. And I think there's an incredible message behind that. But just all the way through, I, I, I think to me, that was one of my, my, one of my favorite Jay-Z albums of all time. And people, I think if you really listen to the lyrics, it just shows a level of, uh, of, of confidence and lyrics and maturity where it's like he's having a conversation. It doesn't even sound like he's rapping most of the time. Yeah. And, and, and lastly, is the guy gets a bad rap because of political. You know what, Kanye. 
I'm sorry. Kanye's gonna say, if you you know, you can say what you want about the guy's politics. He he is great. He is. He's great. He is. And I mean, the music he creates, his lyrics, his, his lyrics, delivery, his delivery. His delivery is amazing, and his lyrics have always been extremely underrated. I think because he, Kanye is a character, right? He, he, he he's on the track, and it's it's a, it's a character on the track. But if you listen to his lyrics, he did a uh, album just a little while ago with Pusha T and with Kid Cudi. Yeah, the, the uh, Kid C. They were great. Um, there was a song on there again. I'm gonna draw a blank, but. Um, if you listen to the way he just puts things together, he is. He is one of the greats. And you oh, can't. He's in the top you, five, no question about it. Yeah. Um, top, wait, 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 wait. wait. I, you, top I think five it's, rapper? I think so. Oof. I mean, the guy has the, he, he has the entire package. And that's and, no and, diss to Kanye. No, and the thing is, he's, and he's still going. Like, the, the, what he's been able to do with music and, and, and create his. Not only, first of all, there's very few producer rappers, right, mm -hmm. that can do both those. The guy is, I want to say what is he has, 27 Grammys, and very few of them. He does? Yeah, most people don't even know that. And very few of that is actually for his own work. It's for like producing that he's produced. Uh -huh. So, you know, he starts that way. He's an incredible producer. He's his that. own production team that's making his own stuff. And then his music itself, I mean, go to College Dropout and re-listen to that album. Yeah. Mm. Right? I mean, you listen incredible. to like what Kanye's been on now. He's been able to evolve in every album is fire. Right? Favorite, what's your favorite album ever? The one album that, would, no matter what you're doing, uh, maybe it puts you in a space, maybe you're cleaning a house, maybe you're studying, I don't know if you study or why. What is your favorite album, uh, hip-hop album ever? For me, I know it's, a, it's like, it's a quick answer, but I think about this because I love, I love the genre of music. To me, it's 100% reasonable doubt. And I'll tell you why. One, because it was, a, it was the first time I can remember, um, you know, really, paying attention to lyrics and rap music. I was, I think I was 14 years old. I was going through a really tough time in my life. We were talking about it. And I remember sitting in the van with um, my my cousin's baby's father. We're sitting in the van listening to this album. And I remember listening to like, for, you know, first of all, you got someone like Memphis Bleak, who, one, you know, his delivery was so aggressive and like straight raw from the streets. Memphis Bleak is money, man. But it was such an aggressive flow and it was yeah. like so raw from the streets and like you could associate yourself with him because that's who you were surrounded with. And it was like, again, hearing someone through a radio, back then it was a CD mm -hmm. or a tape or something that could have been from your neighborhood was awesome. But then listening to the lyrics, you know, in things about the streets that you could associate with, they were like writing your story, right. listening to it. To me, it's something you can really associate yourself with. Um, and to me, it was raw. I think, mean, you know, Jay-Z's evolved into, I think, one of a more intelligent person mm -hmm. and, and more experienced, more worldly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's had a massive impact on how he writes and what he writes about. But then like you backtrack and you listen to that and just how raw and the storytelling was back then, I think is, is and from beginning to end. I mean, that's back when nowadays albums are really a collection of songs. Back then, I think albums were, I mean, they all tied in together. Like they, they were telling a story. Like you listen to like Biggie, a lot of his songs, they would almost be like, um, a soundtrack to a movie that they were writing through the the, the album mm -hmm. and they all made sense together yeah um, and i think from beginning to end it's just the whole thing is raw i love jay-z's albums because it, he's jay-z uh, for where i am in my life jay-z's always two to three steps ahead of me and so every time i listen to a jay-z album i'm like fuck that dude is like he yeah, is look, on a level and i'm always just like okay and it, I, I just love his content yeah i mean I he talks about it he talks about you know a lot of 
uh, very relevant subjects, but I think from a very intelligent and open-minded perspective, you can talk about when he released Title and like the guys that he was trying to help were like shitty on him. It's like, yeah. he says, I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for nine ninety nine. He's like, why are you hating mm -hmm. on me? Like I'm trying to cost mm -hmm. nine ninety nine for me to like save your career. You know what I mean? It's like y'all everyone's still fighting taking that. advances, huh? That's it. Me yeah, and my niggas taking real chances, huh? That's yeah, and that's what it's about. He's the guy's. He's trying to do the right thing, and it's like people are so afraid. They can't see the vision that he has or commit their minds to it. Sure. And um, and it's not it's not crazy what he's doing. It's just sometimes when you have a vision for something, you know that's why you know those guys are successful when they surround themselves with people who are like minded. Of course. Because if you don't have people around you like that, you can't go anywhere. And I think no. you know he's he's surrounded himself with a lot of people that I think are like minded. But to, what, to get where he wants to go, especially with title is. He needs to have enough people in the industry that fully understands the full breadth of what he's trying to do culturally because it's not just about a music app app right because guess what great so you own your masters right and that's great you know oh let's get somebody using them owning their masters well is that super valuable when spotify pays nothing for the rights and then everyone goes on there pay for it right right that's why he opened title because guess what he yes he owns he's his trying masters, to get back yeah no, but it becomes how do you how is music sold today and how do you own how music is sold? It used to be masters and that's great for you to own your masters for the future for, for various reasons. But for the day to day listener, we just talked about it. What's on your Spotify? Right. You know, what's on your Apple Music? You need to own you need to own the distribution of it. Yeah. Right? Think you know, we look at it's not just music, it's it's everything. Product is great and 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 creating something is great. And it's very it can be an incredibly lucrative venture, but where the real money is the distribution point, mm -hmm. and owning the distribution point for music is 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 what he's trying to do because he's smart. He's been enough in the industry to go. That's not the control point. He goes, look, you know, he goes, I'm Jay Z. This Kanye West. So, but but guess what? There's somebody else mm -hmm. who's making a lot more money than me off of what I'm doing, and I'm not okay with that. So let's let's own the let's own the distribution point. And, and the genius about him is he's never been okay with that. You even go back and look at Rockefeller Records, no one will offer him a deal. So he decided to, you know, he's just, he's always been that two it's, to three it's steps about, ahead. What it's about is, is one, looking at a business and understanding where the control points are, yeah. where the money's made, and then attacking that. Attacking it, and, right? and becoming the owner of those control points. Yeah, and if, like if everyone just get behind the guy, you know, if every, I know, I if know. every, if every black musician, right, in the, in the country says, I'm sorry, um, we're no longer releasing music on Spotify, Apple Music, everything. Happen. We're only going to title. It would be like, a title wave. It, it would no, it'd be massive. But that's what he was asking. Everything. That's what he was asking for them to do. He's like, look, just stand with me. Let's be smart here. Let's control the distribution point yeah. where the money is actually being made, guys. Because it's great that you own your masters on that one album. But when's the last time you bought a CD? When's the last time you even paid to download an album? Yeah. No one does that anymore. No one I know goes on and pays for an album on iTunes. I haven't. No yeah. one does. Why no. would you? You don't need to own music anymore. You stream it. Like that's the business. Everyone knows that. So why not get behind the guy who's trying to do you guys for the better good of it? No, they want the short money. They go with this and then they lose the long money. He's trying to teach them long money, right? And it's not just that. He's talking about real estate. He's talking about art investment. Like he's trying to teach these guys, look, this is how, you know, this is how he was how, how did the 
how did how did the, the, the Jewish community end up owning you know all, all the real estate? Right? That's how they did it. Yeah. Oh man, when he when when he when he, he, he's, that's when he, he said that like, I, pa- I paused. I paused and I was like, do I need a notebook? Literally, I, I the was whole taking the whole notes album forty four is like that. I mean, it's just he just dropped it out. And if you're paying attention, not just trying to listen to the baseline of the song, right? And you're actually paying attention to what the guy's saying. Like he's trying to make everybody rich from that album. Like he's like, don't die over the block where your mom is written. Oh my god! Right? So By the block, you that, know. That hit personally like, for me because I had yeah. my my brother lost his life uh, gangbanging in L.A. And I thought about that. Don't please don't die over the neighborhood that your mama rents. So yeah. you know, I grew up with a lot of these guys. It's, Take it's the drug like, money and buy the neighborhood. <laughs> it's like, like it's but it's like, just like, what are you fighting like, who, over? Who's who's who are you saying, fighting over? Who said that before? Nobody, right? He's like he's dropping so much home, knowledge. Man. He's looking at every way that every business person has made money in this country and going, guys, this is not a secret. This is how they do this. Mm-hmm. It's common knowledge. Just do this, dear the rapper. Blueprint. The blueprint. Like, it's like, hey, hey, you got dear, the blueprint, dear rapper. You just made five million dollars in a deal. What are you going to do with that? Don't buy that chain. Know. Buy, you know, stop. You know, that's that's a half million dollar chain. You can buy two apartment buildings in the worst neighborhood, and then. And then, and then, and then, this thing called appreciation, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Property you know, tax. Yeah. Well, all these things that you know, and it's like, it's like, he's trying to give these lessons, and everyone's just hating on the guy. Like he's like, look, he's making money. He's trying to make you money exactly. if you just listen. You know. Yeah, you got to get people to listen. And my favorite song on that album, you know, is for as humble as Jay Z is, and for as forward thinking business minded as he is, and for his is generous as he is to give our culture keys to his success and how to get there. My favorite song on that album is Bam with Damian Marley, where he's talking shit. He's like, fuck the fuck all this pretty Sean Carter shit. And he just goes in. And I was sitting there in the car, man. I just, I love it that he just was like, I'm gonna take it back for a second. But it goes like dirty right in the middle of the album. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna show you. It goes raw. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. That was that song. That was the, um, where that song came from? That was, um, Sean was on that gospel shit. No, it was, was, yeah, but that beat was in, um, in Belly. uh, yeah, I couldn't, it was in I, belly. I couldn't remember what that beat was from. I, I want to say it's an opening scene of Belly, <laughs> which is a, which is a, 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 it was it was an okay movie with one of the best opening scenes of any movie I ever. Williams, Nas, DMX. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen Belly in so long. I'm not gonna lie. Belly, belly like, look, I remember the, mo- the movie's scene. fine. So the movie's long. fine, but the videography of the opening scene was one of the best openings for any movie ever. Did Hype Williams do that movie? I think so. Oh God, he's yeah, a legend, man. The rest is like, there's a this is cheesy storyline. It's like you know over the top violence and yada, yeah yada, yada. But it's like that that opening scene. It's all black and blue. Um, it's almost like that the videography from the scene moonlight. There was like, like that, um, that it image. was like a thump. There was some heartbeats, right? A thump yeah. and heartbeat. Yeah, I forget what was happening. Can you pass me that bottle? I yeah. forget what was happening in the opening uh, scene, but it was I remember it was the. This is by the way the wine that we're drinking, the High Cellar Grignolino Rosé. Yeah. You guys got 13 and a half alcohol percentage on this. Yeah. Um, Napa, baby. We're probably... Warm uh, weather? Yeah. I mean, it's sunny, <laughs> man. It's beautiful every day. Um, you know, we... You should never... This is a weird thing that people associate, like, oh, a wine that goes over this alcohol is, you know... Yeah, yeah. What I would say is you didn't say it when you drank the wine. No. Right? No, so no, it's no. about It's about it's integration balanced. and balance, right? Yeah. So, you know, guess what? Barolo? Try to find a Barolo less than 14% alcohol, right? You, you know, you like Quintarelli Amarone? Great, those wines are 16% alcohol. Yeah. You know, or you like Chateau of the Pop? Those wines are 16% alcohol. Yeah. Right? So it's like, those wines are okay. But anything in, in America that breaks 14%, it's like, you know, at least we're honest on the label. Yeah. Right? At heights, 
we put 14.2 on the label. Our cabinets are on 14.2. They never break 14.5 ever, um, which is actually on the low end for Napa Valley. A lot of producers 14, are, too. That's most producers are around somewhere between 15 to 16. We, we don't ever break 14.5. It's usually around 14 to 14.2. We're talking about alcohol uh, percentage, alcohol. by the way. Um, and the, people, yeah, people actually yeah. quality with alcohol. It has nothing to do with it. When you when you when you're ripening a grape, you got to get a grape ripen. If you harvest a grape too early before it's ripe, it has no mid palate, and the wines don't age. Heights Cabernet Sauvignon, while they're very delicious when they're released, the single vineyards can age and have proven age for 50 to 60 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that seems ridiculous, but it's, it's a fact. We're still drinking the wines from the 60s and the wines are incredible. Um, and um, so we don't, we, don't, we don't pick for alcohol. I think it's a very silly reason to pick. We, we go through and we taste grapes and we smash and we, do, and we, we look at sugar levels, obviously. Um, to see where we are right this, but we're filling the, the pips and the, and the seeds and the stems and trying to get an idea of the structure of the wine, the phenolic ripeness of the wine. And for us, this is more important. That's, that's going to give you longevity and, and, and more mouthfeel and more mid-palate. Because we like to eat. We want wines that go well with right. food. I don't want a wine that goes, oh, that really tastes good, but the moment I, my roast chicken comes out, the, the, the wine's dead in the water. For Who me, does that serve? And, and, and for me, it's like, you know, it's hot as shit outside, right? Yeah. Uh, can can you find me something? Can you give me something refreshing that is gonna you know, give me the alcohol to the weight to hold it up and also give me the balance? You know, I don't want to be knocked out by uh, alcohol percentage, but I, I need sure. balance in it. For, and that's for me. And I know a lot of other people with the rosé. It's just like that refreshing yeah, balance. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's very that? easy in any region in the world to make a wine that's very lean and very high acid, very crisp. You can make that in any region. We can make it in Napa Valley if you want to make that. But the wine won't age. Right. It'll fall apart. It right. has no structure, no 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 substance yeah. to, to go the distance. So, you know, so we're we're producing a new um, a state that is based on that style of wine because we like drinking those wines too. Mm -hmm. But then they're, they're not for aging, and they're not technically a lot of them are not very good with food. To be honest with you, that's just yeah. someone who's been drinking fine wine, eating a lot of great meals my whole life. It just doesn't <laughs> work. It just doesn't work. But they're really delicious and easy to drink, and we like that, right? So we're producing yeah. a brand. Uh, and it's just for that style of wine that's going to be really fun and, and lower wait. price point. Cannot wait. Um, and our winemaker, she's awesome. Pretty Sherwood, she's young. She's 29 years old. She's oh, head wow. winemaker at Heights. She's killing it. She's, um, she started there in 2012 as an intern uh, and became an associate winemaker in 14. And she's just a rock star. Can't so, wait. Um, she's very enthusiastic about everything we have going on and very open to it. And it's just uh, awesome to see like a young female winemaker just running such a massive estate like that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, this chat has been legendary for me uh again and i'm serious i mean yeah. you know, grew up study wine been in wine for several years but um to be able to chat and pick your brain and ask questions from not only someone who has the same passion as me but from uh, someone who looks like me and comes from the same places um and i speak for a lot of people in the culture when i say please keep doing what you're doing we look to you we look up to you do do your thing man this is freaking incredible um, and I cannot wait to see what you do at Heights. You know, I'll, I'll tell you one, one last thing. I really think it's very important to say, and I think this is something we need to touch on. You alluded to it when you talked about, like, okay, well, you got made for going to college. Mm -hmm. you know, when I was 15, 16 years old, I was the way that I was because that's what I was around and that's right. what I was taught to be. Right. As you grow and experience new things in life, you got to allow yourself to evolve and change and take no shame in that. Yes. Right. Like I don't speak the way I used to speak when I was 15 I don't years either, old. Man. I don't right? either. Right. Um, I don't look the way I was in f when I was 15 years old. And it has nothing to do with what is right and what is wrong. Is 
I, you know, I like to believe that I'm a culmination of my experiences, mm-hmm. right? And, and that does include some of what, what, what I was when I was in high school, right. but it also includes some of what it means to be a master swimming in a presidency of a company, right? And I think that, you know, um, in the black community, one of the biggest things is, if no one talks about this, one of our biggest hindrances is our own people, yes. right? The moment that you don't talk the way that yes. you used to talk, Yes. You know, maybe you, you you put a blazer on and a nice dress shirt, yeah. cut your hair different. I mean, I had I had cornrows down to my back when I when I when I when I, when I was in high school. <laughs> I gotta see a picture and, of that. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> and I cut my hair, and you sort of you get, um, you know, you get made fun of, and you're supposed to have shame, and it's like, oh, you're like, you know, you're a sellout or whatever it is. It's like, I you know, know, look, we you know, it's like we already have it hard enough. Yeah. With everything in fight against, to fight against your own people when you're trying to make it out, it's insane. And no one talks about it. It's a major issue. Yeah. When I came back, I mean, I would, I would, I would come back home, visit my family after you know year one in college, year two in college, year three, year four. And I was evolving. I was changing my life experience. You know, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Manhattan, seeing people from different cultures. I was at the CIA. We had people from all over the world. I mean, you had people from Korea, and South Africa, and Japan, and uh, Brazil, and Argentina, and all these people that I'd never come in contact with. So it opened my mind to the way different people lived in the world. Right. And I was evolving and changing. That was very difficult for my family. It was like I was made fun of. Um, yeah. and, and if I can say anything to the people who are currently in that situation, don't fucking listen to them. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. Guess what? In the future, you'll be the guy they're asking for a loan. Yeah, exactly. I've always, always had a fear of like, you know, yeah. being on my deathbed and looking back and being like, damn it. I was listening to these people that I never should have listened to these people. You know what I mean? You live your life, you follow your passion, you be the best version of you that you can be, and that's it. And that was just incredible. Kanye was, is, is uh, I, say, I like Kanye a lot. I get, I get a lot of slack for loving Kanye. Um, <laughs> and for calling him the top five and best, uh, he called he him did, the he, top five rapper he, ever. He just, he just is. All uh, respect for Kanye, yeah. but <laughs> opinion over here. Yeah. Six, maybe six. Six, okay. I mean, six. Well, he he says um, no disrespect, but I don't take advice from no someone who's not as successful as me, right? So it's like you're the one who's making out, and you're hustling, you're doing what you got to do to to make it, and you're gonna now listen to the person who's not even where you are. Exactly. Now that is not to be said. There are lessons and things that we can learn from people who are not as successful as. I don't completely agree with Kanye, but I think the point he was making there was: look, you're not gonna hinder my growth. Because one, you're probably envious of my growth. Right. Like, like, how about let's work on a way for us to bring each other up together, and that should be where the mindset is, right? Right. You know, you see a brother who's who's doing his thing in any direction, support him. Gotcha. Right. Because there's enough in this country that's a hindrance. So if you see someone who made it out, like you, you do what you can to give that guy a layup and help yeah. him push him out, and then yeah. you try to hold on to Koto and pull you out, right? That should be the the I think the sentiment in the black community, not judging someone because they've allowed their life experiences to, yeah. to you know, to, to mold them. I remember when I came back from college and I was dating a, girl, a Korean girl. Oh yeah, that was probably like a thing. Disaster, like, oh, it was God. a disaster, Oh God. right? I mean, I came back to the church and my church is, I mean, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I walk in with like this Korean girl and it was almost like, like the record scratch. And they were like, <laughs> what? You know, and I think, you know, it's, it's, and it's a weird thing in our community. It's so isolated in this bubble that, you know, it's like we only respect those who, you know, it's like you're staying true to your roots. It's like I stay more true to my roots than anything. My grandmother taught me well to hustle and make it out to be mm-hmm. smart, mm-hmm. right? That's that's my roots. My mm-hmm. grandmother was a hustler. She raised her kids. She raised her grandkids. She survived. Everyone ate. That's that's my roots. Yeah. Right. My my roots. I'm, I'm sorry. My roots. My roots are not a drug dealer in the corner. Right. With his pants hanging off his ass. Right. I, I don't. Want, that's not my roots. 
right? I understand it was a part of my surroundings, but I'm not gonna associate myself with that. To me, if, if I look at what my roots are, and I think what the roots of the black community are, is don't, don't associate an entire community with the least common denominator, right? Like, look at the people exactly. who are doing it right. You look at that generation who were trying to take the black community out of this deficit that we were having and doing everything in their power. And if that meant that doing what I had to do to acclimate into society, that's a hustler, right? Like, like that's a survival technique. I got a question for you. So, so I uh, come from the hood, but once I got to the level where I was doing uh, fine wine management in Beverly Hills, I quickly learned that the way the dialect, the drawl that I had wasn't gonna resonate with people so i had to kind of like so over the years I, I i felt myself did you ever feel like a weird because i always felt like this weird like oh i'm talking different and it evolved into what it is today where i talk much more proper sure than I ever well, have well, I mean, well you gotta you gotta say what's the goal here right exactly you know i'm trying to be successful if 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 what's standing in between where i want to be and where i currently am is not speaking slang that i was taught in the streets in dc well, why would I hold on to that? Exactly. What am I gaining there? Street cred for what? The streets I was trying to get away from? Please don't die I mean, over the neighborhood. That's it. That your I, I mean, rappers deal with this all the time when they talk about, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, going back and like, you know, like, oh, you're not real anymore. You're not, you're not a thug. You're like, yeah, you know what? I didn't rap and make all this money to be the same person. Right? Nipsey. Nipsey. 100%. What happened with Nipsey? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like you didn't, you didn't get out to, to stay the same person. Well, right? Jay-Z had the, I know you heard the quote. Yeah. You, people will act like you uh, changed, like I worked this, people say you changed, yeah. like I worked this hard to stay the same. No, of, of course, of course, this is, this is the goal here. The goal is not for me at 35 years old to have my pants hanging off my ass and to not be doing anything to provide for my, my family. The goal is for me to progress constantly. And the, the cold truth is that some people just aren't gonna make that journey with you. And, and, and that's been the best thing for me to learn is that I have to keep going this way, bring along the people that want to be with me, but you, you gotta be yourself. You gotta, you gotta know where you're going. Well, I think it's just allowing, allowing your world and your journey to, to, to build who you are, allow yourself to evolve. Um, you know, anyone who is against that, they're not for you anyway. So you just need to, you know, cut them out of your lives. Exactly. They're going to regret it in the long run, not you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm, we're going to wrap. This was uh, incredible. I really appreciate you. My man. Um, Heights is now run by Carlton, and we are going to expect some really cool and amazing things. Uh, this is Wine and Hip Hop Los Angeles. Thank you for being here with me. Thank My you pleasure, for eating man. some good food, man. Providence. And, uh, Providence, incredible Los restaurant. Angeles. Food is Two incredible. star Michelin yeah. uh, restaurant and uh, amazing food and amazing service. So thank you guys. Signing off. Thanks for having me. Thank you, lovely people. Up to me to decide. Shit, niggas copping guns like illegal abide. The only key to survive and get a piece of the pie is to agree with a lot or just believe a facade, bitch. And I'll be fine just to drink in my wine, bitch. I, I, I got the love birds chirping at the window, but I don't need love no more. I'll be fine sipping wine, taking time.